this time of year really is all about for us as Christians as we honor and celebrate and remember Jesus for that. So before we get into the message today, um, you know, I know a lot of times there can be distractions, there can be worry, there can be confusion, there can be over-eagerness for Lord knows what, especially this time of season, maybe some last-minute Christmas shopping, maybe I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to buy my kids what they want or my spouse what they want, or, or I, I'm not looking forward to driving to the store. And if anybody noticed the aggression, that's just exponentially increased. And it's like, I don't even want to. I'm trying to drive more calmly, and I'm like, oh, i got to match the aggression because everybody's a bunch of idiots out here. It's like it's it's just really that time of year that's frustrating because it shouldn't be that. Yeah, it should be that. But it is. So, you know, what? we got to come here and we got to get grounded. We got to get centered in Jesus and just come back to why we practice Sabbath. But especially now in this time of season. So let, let's just take a moment. We've been worshiping. We've been singing praise to God. But let's just now let's really get in there a little bit more and just silence whatever's going on in here and say, God, I, I need you to help me here and in here because this time is all about you and, and we need you. So let's just take a moment, quiet ourselves, and then I'll pray for us. If you can, take both of your feet, put them firmly on the ground. You can fold your hands together. You can put your hands in, in, a, in a humble, submissive place. Let's just take a moment. Father, I pray right now that in this place, with every mind, every heart, we would be able to hear your voice speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for the people in this place. God, whatever they've walked through the doors bearing, Jesus, I pray right now they would lay it at your feet. God, we need you. We need to hear you. We need to listen to you. So, Jesus, all that we're carrying, I pray that we would just let it go. We would drop it right now before you. Fill us with your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. So the, the title of my message for you today is this. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy? I, uh... I decided as I was preparing this message to go online and, and look up a little bit about um, self-worth because I was curious just just what is what is not the G man. What, what does big G Google say about worth? Um, I, I was just curious. That's all. And so a bunch of, you know, just kind of. Uh, articles and blog posts came up of just people's opinions on it and some self-helps and all that. And, you know, I, I, I wrote down uh, the very first article, maybe if you type in how, I, I don't remember what I typed in exactly, you might see this, but um, somebody wrote uh, 15 reminders that you are worthy. Now I'm going to read these and and I, I'm not going to I'm not going to berate them. I'm not going to overly praise them. I just, I want you to hear the perspective of an individual that's just trying to, you know, best case scenario, help some people that are struggling with feeling worthy. So, so let me read those for you. 15 reminders that you are worthy. Number one, you are, and I would encourage you right here, right now, don't amen or don't go, uh-uh, just, just be quiet for the next 15 moments, okay? And then afterwards you can, you can amen or whatever you want to. So here are these 15 reminders. You are worthy of love and respect. There are so many reasons why you are loved. Be proud of yourself for what you have overcome. You wouldn't be this hard on anyone else, would you? Nobody is quite like you. Look at all you have accomplished. Everything works itself out eventually. Mistakes are just learning opportunities. You're capable of more than you know. 
Productivity is not a measure of your self-worth. The universe loves you and works in your favor. Life is full of peaks and valleys. Beautiful. The world would be a different place without you. There is no set path in life, so just enjoy the journey. Okay. So there's the 15. Personally, a lot of them I... I thought we're good, and I like them, and from a Christian perspective, I would say, yes, some of them I didn't quite like. Some of them I had fun with in my own head. The world would be a different place without you. <laughs> yeah, it would. It would be great. <laughs> Not really. Um, nobody's quite like you. I can imagine that with a little jab, too, if you said it with a certain voice inflection. Like, man, nobody's quite like you. Glad you're not coming to the party. <laughs> you know, there's different ways we can take these things. But um, I, I just, again, I read it because I want, I just wanted us to see a perspective, just a random, quick, easy perspective that you can get if you pulled out your phone and just maybe you're struggling with worth and saying, I just don't feel worthy. I don't feel good enough. I feel down. I'm depressed. I'm stressed. So I need some help, and we go online, and we type in, and we read an article, and maybe these become a mantra for us. Maybe it's, hey, Justin, you wouldn't be this hard on yourself. You wouldn't be as hard as you are on yourself to anybody else, would you? Um, man, you're loved. You, you are worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of love and respect. Man, you're beautiful. <laughs> um I don't know. The universe loves you. That's the one I really agree with if it said God and all that. But, you know, um, I like this one. Productivity is not a measure of your self-worth. I think that's great. I think that's great. Um, I agree with that one. But but there's a there, there's really a, a, a pitfall with all of these. Um, you can say all of these things till you're blue in the face. But all of these really come back to you as as an individual and you as a being. And maybe sometimes these will help you. You know, maybe sometimes you do need to hear you're beautiful. Maybe, maybe you do. I want to tell my wife she's beautiful. And there are times that really, like, I just see her and I always think she's beautiful. But then there are other times, like, oh, my gosh, she's beautiful. Because I, I truly am seeing an inner quality that's just radiating. And I want to tell her, and I think it's good for her to hear that. And then it's good for her to, to, to believe that I believe that about her. You know, though, so that's why I've... Like, we don't want to shame all of these things, but at the end of the day, if, if we're really trying to answer that, that question that is leaving a void in us, I, am I worthy? Am I worthy of, of life, of, of love, of hope, of whatever? Am I, am I worthy? And if we try to answer that question and fill that void with a statement of personal being, of me-centricness. I'll just make a statement from what I believe. It will fail. It will fail. It will run out. It will eventually fall short. It might work for a couple of months and a couple of years, and then what happens if, man, by a lot of objective standards, you're no longer worthy. So where do we find our worth, and where does our hope come from? Is, is anybody in this room truly worthy? Well, let's go to the Bible, and let me remind you um, of the word worth. I talked about it over a month ago when we were in more of the beginning of our series through the book of the Thessalonians. Um, and, and we talked about worth, and, and I love the word in Greek, and you all might remember it. Um, it's axios. I don't know if that goes with gladiator, like I said, or if that kind of sounds like Harry Potter or something, or like, I don't know. But it's not that. It's Greek. Axios. And it means of like value, similar, suitable, or literally translated in, in the NIV many times, worthy. Axios. Worthy. And I don't know if you would recall, but I threw a picture up on the screen that was of, a, of an old-fashioned weight scale that, uh, that vendors in the market would use to 
say people wanted some dates or figs or whatever they were buying and they wanted this amount, they would put it in a bag and they'd put it on the scale and the scale would then lean in the, the, the worth of the weight on one side and then you would have to put the amount of money that you owed until the scale balanced and now it's worthy. Your payment is worthy of the goods. Axios, you're worthy. And this is used throughout Scripture. In Thessalonians, we looked at it. In Ephesians, we looked at it. It's in Corinthians. It's all over the place about our worth, where it comes from, how it comes, and God's worth and what that implies in this whole scheme of things. So the question then with, with the mindset and the picture, hopefully, of the axios and the scale of trying to measure up and be equal to and have worth I want to ask the question, so how do I measure up? How, how am I found to be worthy, balanced, equal to? Axios, how do I measure up? How am I worthy? Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read 10 verses, and then we're going to go back to them and them. Starting in the first verse, the Apostle John writes this in old age, exiled on a lonely island. He has a vision from the Lord, and he sees Jesus radiating in this glorious form, this fa almost fantastical form. It's a being, but it's not an ordinary, it's not a human being. It's just this, this unbelievable revelation of God in, in kind of a man form. God says, write down all the words that you're about to hear come from my mouth. Write them down and don't deviate from one word. So, jumping to chapter 5, here are the words. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy? to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even take a peek and look inside. I wept and wept because no one in heaven or on earth was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the Lord, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. That's a Bible passage right there for you. I love it. Such vivid imagery and, and powerful. Despair of the Apostle John, who's here just as uh, an innocent spectator journalist under the command of the divine God, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And he's just got to be witness to all this. And he's sitting there and, and into chapter 5, 
he sees this scroll. And this scroll must have incredible importance and incredible meaning because God upon his throne is holding it. And this mighty angel cries out, who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? Because clearly this is something. Revelation is about the culmination of all that God has in his plan. The end of it all. The unfolding of it all. Like a scroll. The angel cries out, who's worthy? Who's worthy to, to, to finish this? Who is worthy to bring for all of God's creation for many a good thing and for many a bad thing. Who is worthy to finish this? But no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth could open the scroll and John wept. So the scrolls. Well, what, what did it represent? What was it all about? Um, I'm not going to sit and have a conversation with you upon, about what the scroll represented and the seals represented upon the scroll. Um, a lot of people have written about that, and I don't think it's unimportant, but we're not going to do that today. But we need to see it from a broad perspective. What does this scroll represent broadly? Don't, don't, don't narrow in on what specific seal. And you read Revelation, and you might know what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't worry about it. What's the scroll? Here's where I land on it. Um, it's best understood like a last will and testament. This was very picturesque in the Roman world where scrolls that had seals on them kind of in this manner a lot of times were representative of, of the final will and testament, something that uh, an heir appointed that was worthy to open the scroll would open and would see what is in store for me, what's waiting for me, what's been rendered to me upon the completion of what was and now is given to me. So I, I think that that's, that's historically accurate, and I would say that that's appropriate here. So in light of that, there's this final inheritance that's awaiting the people of God. The culmination of all things of God's plan. In other words, it represents both God's final judgment of humanity, final judgment, just rendering. Don't think judgment bad, but just judgment, evaluation, end of all things. It represents his final judgment of humanity as well as his plan for final fulfillment of redemption because we know Jesus has established his kingdom, but it's not fully realized yet. We're waiting for his imminent return and his millennial reign and, and our rapture and, and all of that. So it's now, but not fully yet. That's what we're waiting for. And this scroll represents, hey, all that is yet to be finished that God has ordained. I want to know. I want to walk and experience that. The scroll needs to be opened. Who's worthy? Earth or under the earth is worthy to open that scroll. And John, seeing his fate, humanity's fate, their purpose, their hope, their, 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 their waiting for all that God created them for and now to fulfill and to wipe away death and sin. And, and all the questions to, and the answers to our why is this happening and how is this happening in my life and, and you name it that we don't have the answer for, John knows it's, it's here in this scroll. And once it's open, all of this, will, will it, it's going to be okay. It's going to be understood and fulfilled. going to open the scroll he's he's the spectator he's the journalist right now waiting all right who's going to step up who, who, who's going to step up it's what we've been waiting for it's what we've been waiting for who's going to step up no one's worthy heaven or on earth or under the earth not an elder not a great angelic being no mighty creature in all of the realm of heaven created by God is worthy. No human being. No, no other deity, minor deity, sub-deity, whatever. No one's worthy. John weeps. 
John wept because no one had earned the right to reveal God's plan. I really see this as true despair. I had an image of what despair was. I see it right here. Because the hope of John's life, of humanity's life, of the cosmos, the creation and its purpose and its fulfillment, all is right here. And it can be opened by the scroll, but nobody can open it. And nothing. I, I remember having that feeling when my wife and I moved out to Washington, we got robbed. And, and you, you know, some of you know, social security, well, my social security, uh, all of my like, legal documentation was stolen. Young but still knew enough about identity theft and, and you're like, okay, this is a big deal. And I'm on the phone with the Federal Credit Bureau and all that. And I'm on the phone telling them about it. And, and they're giving me a bunch of things to write down. And then I asked at the end, I'm like, okay, so what do I do with this information now? And they said, you don't do anything until somebody now uses your information. And I, I couldn't believe what I had just heard. I said, wait, wait, wait. There's nothing I can do until the damage has started? Until somebody is actually using my identity and all that? Uh, until somebody tries to buy a car under my name or a mortgage under my name? Or I, I'm powerless? Never felt like that before. And to this day, I still haven't had a feeling like that of, Uh, there's no amount of competency of, of, of work that I can do. I just have to wait for the bad to happen. That brings despair. That's what John is feeling in this, in this split moment when he's looking around saying, step up, and then the angel, mighty angel, John weeps because... No one had earned the right to reveal God's plan. So far, <laughs> up until verse 4. And one of the elders said to me, John, as he was weeping and in despair, don't weep. <laughs> Why are you crying almost? Like, it's okay. Let, let me tell you the, the part that you don't understand. Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And John's like, who, who, is, who, who, who is this root of Jesse, this line of the tribe of Judah? And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Now just pause, and I want you to understand, this is kind of graphic. It's not a... A pretty little perfect lamb. It might have been a little lamb. I don't know. But there's the imagery in, in ancient Jewish literature that is clear that when the lamb was killed, and you go back even to the Mosaic law, you slit the throat and spilled the blood. Oh, is this Christmas or Halloween? <laughs> that, that's what, that's the real thing. It's vivid imagery. Who, who's worthy? Where's this lion of Judah? Is it that great angelic being? He must be even better and bigger than him, that great man. Or, or you elders and you incredible beasts, you go back and you read. Um, let, let me just read for you. Uh, going back before chapter 5. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet says, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place first. After that, at once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, 
and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne was something that looked like a a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Like the first living creature was like a lion. Second was like an ox, powerful beings. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You have this incredible display of the throne room of God with these unbelievable beings that seem overwhelming and mighty and powerful and and, and scary even because you you don't understand what you're looking at. And and John is looking around at this room in despair because all of these unbelievable, unimaginable beings that he is seeing right now, none are worthy. And then one of these great elders says, don't weep, there is one. The line of the tribe of Judah, of the root of Jesse, the lamb. The lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. Now it does say that the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits God sent into all the world. That does represent something powerful. Many scholars believe the seven horns represent power. So seven completion, power, omnipotence. All power. The, the eyes, the seven eyes, completion of eyes, and then the seven spirits who go out into the world and report everything that happens, the probably the um, omniscience of God, his, his all-knowingness. There's nothing he doesn't see. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. It's what we see there. So th- there is definitely an unbelievable power, but, but you, need, you need to see there's, there's a lamb Very humbling of all these great creatures. Now, kind of have that image of what we're seeing here. Um, look at the descriptive, the, the, the descriptive characteristics of the Lamb. Described as the Lion of Judah. Last week we talked about this a little bit in its significance. Um, not as the Lion of Judah necessarily, but Jesus, according to his genealogy in Matthew and Luke, is of the, the line of Judah. Going back to Abraham, and there are many others in there, but Judah, and that was necessary and important according to the prophetic word. Needed to be of the family of David, of the seed of Abraham, and of the line of Judah. And we also made mention last week, I shared with you, about how Jesus is the only Jew to this day whose genealogical records can be proven because of this manuscript that we have of the Bible, showing his genealogical record. After the, the sack of Jerusalem and the burning of the temple by Rome around 70 AD, all of those family lineage scrolls and genealogies and, and that were taken in censuses, burned, gone. But because of, of the gospel writers... And all the copies that were made and being dispersed, it's preserved. But it's, it's only Jesus. And, and we have that right here. Once again, he's of the tribe of Judah, the line of Judah. There, there's a messianic prophecy that is back in Genesis about this very being, Jesus, being described like the lioness cub coming forth and bringing and establishing that he is king. And that he is the ruler of the lion. He is the lion of Judah. One. Number two, he's the root of David. This one's interesting. Because while we know the Messiah had to come from the family of David, that's not what this is saying. This is saying the opposite. It's saying that it's from the Messiah that the family of David came, the root so in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus actually talks about this. The Pharisees are arguing with him, and they're not liking him in his ministry, and Jesus has an interaction with them, and he says in the 41st verse, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? 
the son of David. Correct. That's the right answer according to, according to the Mosaic law and the prophetic words about the, the Messiah is going to come from the house, the family of David, which Jesus did. The son of David, they replied. He said to them, well, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Stop. So Jesus is, is making a, a big, just like logical implication right here. Like, but, but the Lord said to him before David even prophesied this and unknowingly prophesied it, that there is going to be a Messiah that is his Lord who he comes from. And he's clearly talking about God, and we believe that God is the Messiah come. So while the Messiah comes from David, the Messiah is also before David. Verse 46. No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> I want to be like Jesus. Um, he's the line of Judah. He's the root of David. There is no one like him. Goes on. I want you to notice in the scripture where the scroll was located. At the right hand of God. You look throughout scripture, the right hand of God represents a number of things, but it's usually just power. Sometimes that power can represent firm iron fist that people need to be afraid of if they're living antagonistically, wickedly, sinfully against God. And for those that live for him, under him, submitted to him, it's powerful and mighty protection. It can be understood as a, a might of prosperity, a provision. It represents just, once again, unmatched power, the and the scroll is in the right hand of God. So if someone were to go to God in order to retrieve the scroll, in order to open the scroll, that means axios. Who is worthy to meet God at his level? Is there anyone worthy who's ready to step up to the plate? Elders, none of these angelic beings. John, I'm just a, I'm a human being here journaling, chronicling this down. Centers the lamb who had been slain. The location of the scroll represents the level of worth that someone would need to have in order to unroll this scroll, this final revelation and the fulfillment of God's judgment and his plan for his creation. Somebody had to match God. Somebody had to be worthy of God. It's Jesus, the lamb who had been slain. So let me say it to you this way, and then I'll give you a couple of scriptures that that will help us understand it. Christ's right to rule, to, to go to the throne, to receive the scroll. What, what made Jesus worthy? Well, let, me, let me say it to you this way. Christ's right to rule wasn't achieved through strength but sacrifice. Now, now let me be very clear. Jesus was always worthy. Always worthy. He didn't have to earn his worth. He is God, the Son of God. But, but now we're asking the question, how, 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 did, how did all of this happen? How did this make sense? Because clearly, we were not worthy, and, and so somebody had to take our responsibility. Somebody had to take upon themselves the need to prove the worth of all of us. Emmanuel. 
Christ's coming in the flesh. He was always worthy, but he had to come and do it the way that we could never do it in our flesh. So now what proves that he is worthy? Did he come as a man in pomp and style, in incredible majesty, having unbelievable wealth and power and political influence? Did he give everybody what they wanted? Did he line their pockets with millions of dollars? Did he heal every single person on the earth? Did he promise every single person that, hey, don't worry, you're never going to experience suffering in your body anymore? Did, did he do any of that? Did he do anything that would prove to people that, hey, you don't ever have to worry about the life that you're living right here and right now because I'm going to take care of all of it for you right here and right now? Did he do that? No. He was born to a poor couple in a ghetto town in a barn and lived a humble life as a carpenter. But the most defining characteristic about Jesus that we need to understand is that he lived a perfect, sinless life. And he took that perfection and it was the worthy sacrifice given on our behalf, nailed to a cross. Jesus' worth was proven by his sacrifice. Not his power. Is he all powerful? Yes, he is. John just recorded it right here, the seven horns, the seven eyes. He walked up and he took the, he, Jesus, who was always at the right hand of the Father, seated by his throne, equal, always equal, came in the flesh and now comes up to finish for humanity. Then I, I got this. I'm worthy. Always have been and I've proven it. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in the 14th verse, says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, incarnation, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Yes. Jesus' worth was not determined by power, but sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice upon the cross listen to me, didn't qualify him as perfect. Instead, Christ's sacrifice upon the cross demonstrated the fact that he was already perfect. And finally, Christ's victory over Satan came through the incarnation. Remember, he had to come in the flesh. He had to come in the flesh because we couldn't do what was needed for our salvation in the flesh. He's perfect. He's worthy. But he says, I I'm going to come in and I'm going to do it the way that you can in your flesh and in your way. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, before I read this, back in Reve it, it, where we were reading in verse 5, it says that he's the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, has triumphed. He's triumphed. He's won. The victory's his. It's done. And we're just waiting for the final revelation right now. It's his. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of the flesh, the heart, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He, Jesus, has taken it away nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Yeah. It's said that Jesus as well as the apostles in the New Testament by Paul's writing were, were made a public spectacle. Jesus was made a public spectacle and the apostles were made regularly public spectacles because of their persecution. But Paul was speaking tongue-in-cheek. He was being sarcastic. He was saying, by the world's standards, 
They're a spectacle. The world is saying, oh, look at that good-for-nothing, worthless, weak Messiah and his followers. Paul's like, yeah, we're a spectacle to them. But right here, uh uh-uh. Jesus made a spectacle of them. He made fools out of all of them on display for all to see powers and authorities, forces behind the scenes, angelic beings, demonic beings, all to see. Jesus made a spectacle of all who were against him in heaven and on earth. And how did he do it? How did he do it? I'll read it for you one more time. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The power of God liberating humanity came through the culmination of his incarnation. He came in the flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life. And he said, it is finished, nailed to a cross. is worthy. Worthy? Am I worthy? Verse 8. And when he had taken it, the scroll, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, us. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy, Lamb of God, Lion of Judah, Root of David. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons, people, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Jesus, you did what no person could ever have done. You brought us salvation, and you brought everybody together. ever not say it, especially in the, in the climate, politically and socially, that we're living in right now. If you want to have peace on earth and goodwill towards all men, okay, if, if you want to march, if you want to protest, if you want to be an advocate, wonderful, as long as you're doing it in a godly manner. But ultimately, it's not the answer Jesus is. The greatest protest that we could ever make to humanity is coming to this building right here and not saying, oh, is, is, uh, are there enough white people or black people or Presbyterians or Lutherans or Hispanics or Asians? Because if there's not enough of people that look like me or talk like me or act like me or have the background that I do, then that place isn't for me. That is such a lie. If this building is not representative of all tribes, all nations, all languages, We are not living in the plan of God waiting to receive final fulfillment. We are not. That's why I love this church. Because I get to look out and see the diversity here. Again, of skin color, of of race, of age, of, of upbringing. You are all so unique. So here's what happens. It started with despair. Well, it started with just reverence and awe. And yes, this is God's final plan. It's about to be fulfilled. And there's the scroll. There's there's the answer. There's the end in sight. But initially, nobody's worthy. and, And John is filled with despair. And then he's consoled by the the heavenly beings that are there saying, don't weep. There is one worthy, and it's him, the Lamb of God. He is worthy. And then they all, as, as 
Jesus ascends and receives the scroll on equal standing with the Father, takes it, and he's going to get ready to open it, and all of the beings in the throne room bow down, prostrate themselves, and they start to sing, you are worthy. Who is worthy? You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. With your blood, you purchased for God all peoples, all tribes, all nations, all languages. You have made them a kingdom of priests. So here's what happens. When the lamb appeared, the weeping ceased and the praise began. That's what we see happening right here. I, I, man, I, I'm, I'm okay with this because, again, Jesus himself wept over Lazarus. But I was thinking this week early because I'm around a lot of death in the unit that I'm in in the hospital. A lot of dying people, a lot of families in despair. Um, And I was thinking about Jesus. And for some reason, a particular passage came to my mind. And I don't even remember where the passage is, but it's in the Gospels. Jesus is on his way to heal. uh, Is it Jairus's daughter who had died? Right. It's Jairus's daughter who had died. Right. And she's dead at that point when he shows up and they are mourning family parents and what does jesus say oh no what does he say before that he says why are you weeping why are you crying adrian you've been to a few of my funerals how do you think it would have gone down if i had been hey what are you what are you all crying for what are you all crying for did he know jesus well then you don't got a reason to shed a tear right now. What would that have looked like? Seriously, I'm being serious, right? We don't do that, and I'm not going to do that. Remember, he wept, so I'm not saying that that's uh, a reason to then say you can't cry at funerals, but, but there's a strong point there that I think is foreshadowing this. Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Do you know what power I have? And he goes and he exhibits that power. And that power is is an exhibition of him showing, hey, do you have any idea what is waiting for you in the fulfillment of the revelation of my will for humanity and all of creation? Here's the lamb and an elder saying, hey, hey, John, why are you weeping? Why You don't need to weep. You, You remember who that is? That's Jesus. Do you remember? You were there. You were there when he said to the family, why are you weeping? And so I'm telling you, John, why are you weeping? And the weeping ceases and the praise begins. You're worthy, God. I just think it's worth always mentioning. I've talked about this plenty of times before, but a part of that praise was prayer. This is the Lord's people. And that's specific. It's a specific identification. This isn't just broadly speaking of angelic beings and all created beings. saying the Lord's people, us, this is us right here, a part of the praise of the throne room of God to Jesus himself. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 30, uh, God is giving the, the plans of the tabernacle and all of the fabrications of it. And he gets to the altar of incense that was to constantly be burning incense up to God. It was made of a of wood and overlaid with gold. And Aaron, the high priest, the only one who was worthy of being able to go and make that appropriate sacrifice of fragrance, fragrant I'm talking about, not the the one sin sacrifice once a year, but that perpetual fragrant offering before God, would go in and would offer it. That's the imagery that is described in Hebrews as the rest of the tabernacle as as a foreshadowing, a blueprint. It's, It's just a representation of what is really the case in heaven in eternity. And right here, What is really the fragrant offering to God in heaven upon the throne and to Jesus himself? Your prayers. So if you need a reminder every once in a while, why should I pray? Right there, Revelation chapter 5. Pray more. These verses ultimately represent why Christ had the right to rule. Verse 10, you have made them a kingdom to be a kingdom of priests and to serve our God and they will reign on earth. 
so that just gave us a picture of what's waiting for us when Jesus rolls back that scroll. I mean, we're already a kingdom of priests, but there's obviously more to come in that. We're already serving God, but obviously there's more to come with that. And then we're going to reign on the earth. The people who are persecuted for serving Jesus, the people who at this point in time had been exiled to islands because of their faith, who had been crucified, who had been filleted, who had been eaten alive by wild beasts for pure sport of people going to, to arenas. Those people are now going to be the rulers to reign. So the gospel doesn't simply save you from your past. It reveals your purpose now and to come. So much more waiting that God has in store for us in eternity. But you've got to look at God's word for that. And you've got to say, God, I'm waiting for that. Don't start filling in the blanks with what you think your purpose is or your future is right here, right now. Just stop, stop with all that. Just say, God, I'm waiting for your purpose. I don't know what it is. I don't know. God, if it's this, let your will be done. If it's this, let your will be done. If it's not, hey, I'm good. Your will be done. Maybe I don't get that healing in my body. Your will be done. Maybe I don't get out of this, this crisis that I'm in. Your will be done. Maybe I'll continue to be falsely persecuted. Your will be done. Maybe I'll be single for the rest of my life. Your will be done. Maybe I don't have control over my spouse having salvation in you. I'll keep praying for them. Your will be done. You're in control. <laughs> so here it is. Jesus is worthy. Is, is anyone worthy? Only Jesus is worthy. But here, here's why I want to add now what we need to understand. John is so filled with anticipation at the start of this chapter because for all creation. That includes me. I, I, I don't have, spiritually speaking, a dime to my name in the eternal grand scheme of things. I, I, I've been living so faithfully to the best of my ability in my lifetime for God. And I've suffered so much for it. And I see the end in sight. It's all there. That, that's really my destiny waiting there. It's final fulfillment is right there. And Jesus is worthy. And Jesus opens the scroll. And the final fulfillment of God and his judgment takes place. And it affects us. Do you remember in the New Testament how we are described as having been adopted into the family of God? And now we are co-heirs with Jesus. Co-heirs. Do you get this, this last part that I'm about to say to you that I think you know where I'm going? Only Jesus is worthy. Guess what he's made you now? He made you worthy. You are co-heirs with him now. It's always through his power, his might, his will, his ways. He is worthy, and that gives you worth. So, am I worthy because of Jesus? Yes, I am. Yes. Apart from Jesus, can't ever be. So, when you are feeling down, this is not supposed to be a how-to message, but if you are feeling down and feeling worthless, and in despair, and all hope is gone. I would encourage you, don't let the first thing you do, don't let the first thing you do be going to Google and typing in, hey, how can I be worthy? Don't, don't let that be your first step. You don't need to take a college class on how to discover emotional well-being. You you don't need to first go to a therapist or a counselor. You, all of that isn't a bad thing. What's the first thing you need to do? What needs to be your foundation? You go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're worthy. And my worth is defined by you. 
I am now adopted into the family of God. I've been grafted in. I am co-heirs with Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Good article. Help me see some other things. But thank you, Jesus, because it's all because of you. Here's your paycheck, therapist. Thank you. You helped me this week. But Jesus is always my sustainer. And anything that I'm getting is just building upon the rock of Jesus. So verse 11. I want to invite you to stand and Pastor Chase, you can come up. Then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. You see the imagery right there. Not one voice, not one creature in all creation, not one syllable in the creatures of creation was left unuttered. And this is what they said to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So it is beyond necessary and appropriate that to close our time after going through a scripture like this, we got to praise God. We've got to praise God here in this place right now. There's a song that we haven't sung in some time. I've probably only sung it here maybe once or twice, but it's, it's a song called, Is He Worthy? And it has everything to do with what we've been talking about today. So I just want to invite you right here, right now, where you're at, just bow your heads, close your eyes for, for a moment. Let's just start entering into this moment and this atmosphere of praise and worship to God. Because only He is worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. Is the glory of the Lord to be 
Is it good that we remind ourselves of Is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave is he worthy is he worthy of our blessing and honor and glory is he worthy of this our praise Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again? with us. He does. Come on, let's sing. Is anyone worthy but Jesus? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah conquered the grave he is david's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave from every people and tribe every nation and tongue he has made us a kingdom a priest to god to reign with the son is he worthy is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of that out he is he
voice they were saying worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all with all that is in them saying are you ready let's have this up on the screen repeat after me to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and every living creature on earth said amen amen god we give you praise because you are worthy you are worthy you are worthy god you are worthy jesus you are worthy god you are worthy 